0: This is In Conversation from Apple News. I'm Shamita Basu. Today, explaining this super weird economy. Think about everything our economy has been through in the three years since the COVID-19 pandemic first hit the United States. The coronavirus outbreak has had a devastating impact on the jobs market. We're seeing a slew of employee layoffs across major companies. Over 118,000 people lost their jobs. The coronavirus pandemic has left the future uncertain for new graduates. Mom and pop shops, as you know, were especially hard hit and are struggling to stay afloat amidst the pandemic. Over 200,000 Americans have died from COVID-19. Unemployment has skyrocketed. Civil unrest has gripped the country, and there is growing concern about the upcoming presidential election. We're looking at the state of our supply chain and getting the products we need at the grocery store. In the grocery store, at the gas pump, on the car lot, prices keep rising. The inflation rate soared to a 13-year high in May, pushing the cost of living 5% higher than this time last year. We've all felt it in different ways. Whether you lost your job, or watched grocery prices rise, or your retirement plan tank, or waited for the housing market to not be so awful. And yet, the big, bad economic markers of recession technically haven't happened. The latest GDP report shows that the U.S. economy grew faster than expected at the end of last year. The unemployment rate remains historically low, about 3.4%. Mortgage rates have finally started coming down, Inflation is cooling and wage growth is up from last year. So, taken all together, is the economy actually doing pretty good?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the answer with a lot of caveats is kind of yes.
0: Emily Stewart is a senior correspondent at Vox covering business and economics. I sat down with her to ask, if a global pandemic didn't send our country into an economic freefall, Do we understand why? And what do federal regulators and our elected leaders need to do now to make sure that the economy keeps trending
1: in the right direction? The big, big story here, at least recently, was the January jobs report. So the U.S. economy added about a half a million jobs in January. And it really added jobs across hospitality and leisure, across a bunch of different sectors. And, you know, I think it's hard right now to say, no, no, everything is awful. Everything's awful. Also, a half a million people got jobs. People are still quitting their jobs at a high rate, which means workers feel like they can find something else. They feel pretty Mm -hmm. good about things. Mm -hmm. There are still a lot of job openings, maybe not as many as there were a year ago, but there are still a lot of jobs available. There are still a lot of jobs open. We even see wages are going up. Now, they're not necessarily keeping up with inflation in a lot of cases, but people who have not gotten a raise have really gotten a raise over the past year or two.
0: Mm. Yeah,
1: so help people understand. Like, what are the forces at play that create an unexpectedly good jobs report? I think a lot of companies early on in the pandemic, for a multitude of reasons, sometimes because they just had to shut down, laid a lot of people off and did not realize how difficult it was going to be to get employees back. And so some of it is continuing to staff up, and some of it is companies businesses being a little bit nervous to lay everyone off again. Mm, I mm. think that is at least part of it. I think that there is also just, you know, the economy is not doing that badly. People are still living their lives, going out and about. You know, even for parts of last year, one big question that loomed for me a lot was, as much as everybody said they hated inflation, a lot of people were spending through it. (laughs) It was like, they were angry that their vacation was going to cost more, but they were still booking that vacation. So I do think part of it is just the economy is kind of still plugging along. And so that means that businesses are still wanting to hire people. Yeah.
0: Unemployment is at historic lows, but we've seen so many big layoffs in in tech, in finance, uh, in media, and those are making a lot of headlines and maybe having ripple effects making a lot of people kind of nervous. So What's going on there? Why are there these layoffs at the same time that businesses are eager to hire
1: people? I mean, I do think still the ultimate story here is the job market remains pretty robust. And a lot of workers kind of at the bottom rungs of the economy are doing a lot better than they have in recent years. These are people who are able to jump jobs and have jumped jobs. These are people who have gotten big raises, who have been able to say, hey, this place isn't going to pay me. I'm going somewhere else. Obviously, the big elephant in the room here is all of these high-profile layoffs. And, you know, they are bad full stop. Layoffs are painful. Layoffs are hard. I work for Vox Media. We just did a round of layoffs. Obviously, Tech has seen a ton of layoffs. I think it's important to remember that they're a big part of the discourse, but they're not actually the biggest part of the job market, right? So, yes, Mm -hmm. it is a lot of people. If like a Goldman Sachs lays off. 3,000 people. But how many people does a Goldman Sachs employ? How many people does finance employ? How many people are employed in the United States? It's millions and millions of people. I think the scary thing is and the worry is that this starts to become contagious, right? That company after company after company starts to do layoffs. Companies and consumers start to pull back on spending and it becomes sort of a self-fulfilling recession Mm. because Mm. you get people nervous enough and they do stop spending. And, you know, if I don't go out to eat, then that starts to hurt the restaurant around the corner. And eventually they lay off the guy that works there. You know, it's hard to say because you don't want to downplay these kinds of things. But I think sometimes just it is people who are not necessarily used to losing who are losing right now. And, you know, as much as we talk about, oh, no, there are layoffs at Google and at Meta and at Vox and everywhere else. Chipotle is hiring 15,000 people. Walmart is having to pay people more. They announced recently that they are going to increase their wages. Those are also important. Those are also jobs. And maybe they're just not the jobs that the discourse pays as close attention to.
0: I mean, I think what's also important here is the why behind all these layoffs. Like, what, what can you explain a little bit what we know about why some of these companies are having such huge layoffs?
1: I mean, it really is kind of a sector by sector and company by company situation. You know, with tech companies, it does seem like a lot of them are looking around at their headcounts thinking, do we need this many people? Do we want this many people? Interest rates are going up, so it makes borrowing money a little bit more expensive. A lot of these companies are just kind of tightening their balance. You know, I think it's true probably across tech, finance and media. There are concerns about a recession around the horizon, and if you want to make cuts, you want to do that now to kind of batten down the hatches. You know, in media, ad spend is down by a lot. That's an issue. You know, I think one thing that sometimes gets lost in this is that we also kind of live in a system, a capitalist system, where companies really need to prioritize their shareholders and delivering value to shareholders. That is kind of rule number one at any publicly traded company and a lot of private companies, right? And so at the end of the day, If you think your shareholders are going to like it when you cut jobs, then you do it. Let's talk about housing.
0: One of the big drivers of inflation is rent, of course. We're also seeing mortgage rates are starting to come down. But the big problem is that there is so little supply in the housing market. So just looking at housing, what's the story that you
1: are seeing right now? The housing market is not looking good. A little while ago, I spoke to an economist about kind of this white-collar recession story, and he said, listen, we are not in recession. That being said, the housing market looks like very bad. Mm. Like you said, there are not a lot of houses in supply because we have not built a lot of houses, also because mortgage rates are high enough right now where if you don't have to move, you kind of don't want to. Yeah, We've seen housing prices go up of buying a home, obviously rents. I live in New York City a wild time to try and move here. (laughs) (laughs) Housing Mm -hmm. is tough. You know, some people I've spoken to recently said the construction industry is kind of still moving along fairly decently just because there was a lot of pent-up demand and there's a lot of stuff that still needs to get built that they've wanted to build. But at some point that will slow down. And that will also probably translate to, if we do enter a recession, a loss of jobs. Are
0: there any signs that people should look for? Signs of improvement in the housing market?
1: I mean, it does look like mortgage rates are getting a little bit better. That would be good. Seeing prices come down. Obviously, if you own the home and you were trying to sell it, you don't love that. But if you're trying to buy a home or rent, that will be good. Okay, to recap
0: what we're hearing so far. In this supposedly pretty good economy... The jobs market is strong. Housing is not so great. Now onto another pain point, inflation. Consumer prices in the US were up by more than 9% compared to the previous year. That's the hottest inflation number we've seen since 1981. See, Americans have enjoyed a long period, I'm talking decades, of very, very low inflation. And compared to some other countries right now, things aren't so bad here. In Hungary, inflation is as high as 24%. In Argentina, 95%. Now, these comparisons might not be all that comforting if you're feeling the shock of higher bills right now. But the latest numbers tell a somewhat optimistic story. Inflation in the United States appears to be cooling off. It slowed to 6.4% in January, which is promising, but prices are still ticking up faster than the Fed wants. So I asked Emily, given everything that we've been through in these past few years, why isn't the economy, frankly, doing a lot worse? How is it that we've managed to stay as resilient as we have?
1: I mean, I really do think there's something to be said for a lot of the federal government supports that we've seen over the past three years, I guess. What is time? When the pandemic hit, you know, the Trump administration really moved with Congress to take some big actions. We have to think about like the Paycheck Protection Program, which basically was support mm-hmm. to small businesses. You know, you can say that some of the program was not perfect, but it did really keep some businesses afloat. We obviously really bumped up unemployment insurance, but initially it was an extra $600 per week for people that lost their jobs. And if you think about millions of people lost their jobs at the beginning of the pandemic, that's an enormous amount of help. We also expanded the pool of who was eligible for unemployment. So contract workers, freelancers, meaning Uber drivers, and anybody who freelances from home, like this is good. These are people who otherwise really would have been in a really tough spot. Yeah. I feel like I've read this now from like a bunch of smart
0: thinkers on issues of the economy that that $600 per week, we're going to look back at
1: that and say that that was really, a really transformative. Right. It was a really, I mean, it was just huge if you think about, especially at the beginning of the pandemic when it really was a moment where like you could not go to work if you wanted to in a lot of these jobs. Yeah. Like, what, what did you think if I was going to do? And obviously, then it lapsed for a little bit. Then it came back as $300. But again, that was really helpful for people to try and get back on their feet. I know that there are people who will say, well, it kept people out of the labor market. You know, we don't have really data that says that it kept broad swaths of people from not working as the economy reopened. Like, the evidence just doesn't support that. And, mm-hmm. you know, obviously, the stimulus checks were really important. Like We just we really did a lot to help people. At the same time, you know, people were not spending as much money because they just had nowhere to spend it. And so that really helped people build up savings between PPP to a certain extent, with unemployment, with the stimulus checks, with not spending your money. A lot of people were really able to save money in a way that they hadn't in a long time. And I think right now the thing that I think about a lot is that if we do have another recession later this year, or whatever, the government is not going to hop in and help people in the way that it did during the pandemic because there's just no political will to do it because it, enough mm-hmm. people really do believe this narrative that, oh, no, no, it was terrible, unemployment made inflation happen and also kept everybody from working. And there are enough people who will tell you this over and over that it just would seem really difficult for Congress to do something like that and, like, I'm not always the most like, yay, government, most optimistic person. But I do think that we do have to realize that things could have been so much worse had we not really injected money to keep the economy afloat. Hmm.
0: Hmm. In what ways was our economy permanently altered
1: by the pandemic? I mean, I think the journey is still out on that, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think that we saw some... Some real holes in the economy. We saw some real problems with our supply chains, with the way our ports worked, with the ways that we build things. Um, There's obviously been a little bit of a push to onshore some of the manufacturing around, like chips and stuff like that. Right, right. Do we fix those things? Maybe they take a lot of time. They take a lot of investment. Companies don't always have the longest uh, time frame when they're thinking about how they're going to spend their money. But it definitely exposed some issues. There are some other questions that we still don't know the answer to. The labor force participation rate remains a little bit lower than it was, and I think that is a question that we don't quite have the answer to. Where are people? What are they doing? Are, did they retire? Do they have long COVID? Do they not want to work? Did they discover actually maybe only one of us in this household has to work? We don't really know. I think, if anything, covering the economy over the past couple of years has been a really humbling experience, I think anybody who kind of especially tells you what's happening next is lying because nobody knows. Like, nobody has known for for months and months.
0: Yeah, yeah. I guess the real question now is how do we untangle things? Like, how do we know what in our economy is attributable to the pandemic and what isn't? It's like we have no way to know for sure what would have happened. We have no alternative universe where there was no pandemic to kind of compare ourselves to. So how do economists think about this untangling?
1: I think lately, really, the the two big questions remain jobs and inflation. And I think, you know, obviously every month, everybody's, okay, where is the inflation coming from? What is happening? Okay, you can say we can untangle it from the pandemic, but then Russia goes and invades Ukraine. Okay, right. Well, right. This, is, this is a new problem that is not the pandemic problem. You know, one thing that some economists will say is that if there is a slowdown in the economy or if and when there is a slowdown, It might take a while for it to show up in jobs. Like, it is important to remember that a lot of these indicators that we're talking about are lagging indicators, meaning they show up later after the thing has happened. And there is a chance that these high-profile layoffs that are happening now could turn out to be a leading indicator, a sign that something else is going to—that things are about to get bad or that the economy is about to—you know, ideally what the Fed would like is for it to have a soft landing, right? Meaning we slow things down, we don't go into a recession, But maybe it does become a recession. But it is a little bit tricky right now just to see anything. I mean, even you look at consumer spending, it did look like it slowed down in November and December around the holidays, which, like, oh, that's a little bit nerve-wracking. What does that mean going forward? We'll, We'll find out the next time there's another report on it.
0: For so long now, there have been economists warning that a recession could be coming. We've all been bracing for one. It's almost felt inevitable.
1: And, like, the question now is, if a recession is coming, what will it look like? We don't know. Matt Zeitlin at The Grid had written a really nice story last year about if there is a recession coming, it probably won't look like 2008. It won't look like 2001. It won't look like 2020. Every recession is different. And so this one, we don't know if and when the next downturn arrives, what it will look like either.
0: The Fed has been trying to slow rising prices by hiking interest rates. And its hope is to do this without launching the country into another recession, what's known as a soft landing. Now, this is a delicate balance because, at least historically, a healthy labor market can make it harder to cool
1: down inflation. They want wage growth to slow. And they kind of want, to a certain extent, for people to lose their jobs. But then there was this
0: blockbuster January jobs report. So many jobs were added that the chief economist at ZipRecruiter called it too good to be true. And it's called into question whether we'll have the soft landing that the Fed has been hoping for.
1: The Fed is raising interest rates, inflation is slowing down. People are not losing their jobs. So, like, we don't know what's going on. And is that a moment to sit back and say, wait, like, is this trade-off of jobs inflation even the thing that we need to be talking about? Is that exactly how this works? And I think the honest answer is we like, don't know. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe it's not as direct and perfect as you might have thought. And that
0: right there is why monetary policy is so complicated.
1: The Fed is probably going to continue to raise interest rates. They've said that's what they're going to do. They want to make it more expensive to borrow, to get some money out of the economy. They would like that to show up in the labor market in some way, shape, or form. You know, one person I talked to recently said, listen, like, the Fed is pretty smart. They're paying attention. They're not, hopefully, not going to, like, barrel ahead with interest rates. If they really start to see some softening, they raise interest rates by 25 basis points. Most recently, if you think of last year at some point, they'd raised it by 75 basis points. So they are paying attention. But I think that, you know, it's also... It's not a perfect science. It's not one-to-one. It's not you raise by 50 basis points. This is how much inflation goes down. You raise by 50 mm-hmm. basis points. These many people you know, lose their jobs or this is exactly what happens with wages. And I do think right now there is a little bit of hand wringing around like, wait a minute, like what is going on in the jobs market? What about
0: lawmakers? What can Congress do? What can the president do
1: in order to help us avoid a recession? I mean, I think there are things that the president would like to do. He and a lot of Democrats would probably like to put in the expanded child tax credit again during the pandemic. Would probably like to pass a lot of laws around the economy. He just recently did the State of the Union and talked about taxing stock buybacks. There are plenty of ideas that are out there. I think that the, the tough truth of the matter, at least going forward, is that we do have a split Congress. Are Republicans in the House going to pass an expanded child tax credit? Like, probably not. I think we have to be pretty realistic here. And you have instead, you know, Republicans in the House saying, like, maybe we're, we're not going to raise the debt ceiling. And like, you know, you want to talk about, like, really throwing the economy into chaos. There you go. Which you're that- saying
0: even the threat of that can throw the economy into chaos?
1: I mean, it certainly makes people nervous. If you think back to, like, 2011, it makes the markets nervous, mm-hmm. right? Like, the market really does not want to hear this. And at some point, if you do get closer to that happening, like businesses and people start to make choices based on that. And it really, I mean, that would really spook markets. It would really be bad. That being said, during the last Congress, you know, they did some stuff that at least the White House will tell you, and some Republicans do because the infrastructure bill was bipartisan. They did things that they think, will. Shore up the economy going forward. You know, you have the Inflation Reduction Act, which makes Mm -hmm. investments in climate, you know, which allows Medicare to negotiate on some drug prices, which would be good. Again, there was a bipartisan infrastructure bill, but I do think going forward, at least legislatively, there's not a lot that can be done. And there are efforts in other parts of the executive branch to get some stuff done. Um, The FTC is looking at like junk fees. They're looking at non-competes, which is that like a big economic boom? No. But if you've ever had a job where all of a sudden you wanted to leave and you couldn't because there was a non-compete, like mm. that would make a difference for you. Mm-hmm. If you exist as a person in the economy and you want to buy a concert ticket or you want to go to a hotel or you book a plane ticket and you see fees piling up, like that makes a difference for people. Well,
0: I mean, that this gets at what The economy is ultimately about, which is it's about people and the choices that they make about where to put their money, whether they want to spend it, whether they want to save it, and what all of that says about how they're feeling. And we do have metrics for measuring how consumers are feeling, and those do get taken into account by economists. Why does it matter how people are feeling about the economy? If enough people feel bad about
1: the economy and act like they feel bad, because there's a difference between saying, I hate this, and then really saying, I'm not spending a dime this week. You know, one economist I talked to last year said, if enough people start to worry that we're in a recession, we're just going to be in a recession, because if businesses and consumers start to slow down spending, that affects everybody else. If I don't go to the restaurant down the street and nobody else in my neighborhood does, at some point, that restaurant owner says, "Okay, I got to lay off half the staff, it is kind of a ripple effect. And so I think that is one of those things where sometimes like, I don't want to be pollyanna here. I'd be like, oh, the economy is fine. But I think sometimes we also want to avoid, it's easy to be really negative about a lot of things. And I think sometimes it, we do run the risk of kind of, you know, saying the sky is falling, the sky is falling so much that at some point the sky begins to crack. And mm-hmm. to be clear, there are no guarantees that a recession will not come most economists think that one is on the horizon this year. But, you know, it's like it's not 50-50, but let's say it's like 60-40. That's still 40% chance that it won't happen.
0: You mentioned that a lot of this comes down to political will
1: mm-hmm. and
0: how you just think that the moment now is so different than earlier in the pandemic when we were more willing to change unemployment checks for people and, and make those kinds of interventions that make a big difference. What's your argument for finding the political will to overhaul some of those systems in the long term? I mean, this stuff is going to happen again.
1: Like, recessions will come, always. There will always be another recession. We don't know it's going to be tomorrow. In five years from there, there will always be one. And I think— there is a real argument for being really prepared. So there is a world like, on unemployment insurance where you can do automatic stabilizers, which sounds fancy. But basically, it, it means instead of having to go to Congress and say, like, hey, how do you guys feel about unemployment insurance today? Like, can we have a little more well, people don't have jobs? You could set it in some way. And I don't know what the levels would be where, like, if unemployment hits X, unemployment insurance kicks up to Y and these people also mm. get it. And I don't think there's a lot of will for that because I don't know how to build the political will. A lot of the problem is also that nobody considers themselves like an unemployed worker, so it's hard to get consumers and workers to pay attention to that. Hmm. But if you could do something like that, then you kind of get rid of the need for the political will next time, and it's easier. And then it's, okay. You future-proof You, you future-proof it. Yeah. It a little bit. And yeah. so I think, yeah. you know, the hard part is always kind of It's just really hard to get anybody to think about when the, like, you need to think about when things will get bad, when things are good. And that's just a really, that's a tough hill to climb. Emily
0: Stewart, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. You can read Emily Stewart's reporting for Vox on Apple News. We'll include a link for you on our show notes page.